Welcome, listeners, to another Transformation Church Sermon Podcast. Let's prepare our hearts to receive the Word of God. What's up, Transformation Church? Good morning. My wife and I are traveling. We're on vacation right now. and Just wanted to come to you and introduce our guest speaker today. He's really not a guest speaker. He's part of our own church. He's one of the founding members of our church. Been on the board of our church in times past. He's an amazing husband, father. He's a business leader in the community. And he's also getting his Master's of Divinity at Dallas Theological Seminary. So he's a Bible scholar as well. And uh, he's a good friend of mine. And he's been at our church for 14 plus years. Helped us build this place. He leads a small group uh, every Friday for the last 13 years, uh, leading the men's group, an amazing connect group. So if you're not in a connect group, you want to check out his if you're a guy. And uh, it's just an honor for me to have him carry the, the word today and bring it to you from the pulpit. Open up your hearts and uh, put your hands together for my good friend, Corey Wilson. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, some of that was true. Um, I'm not a Bible scholar. Uh, I'm pursuing God the same way you guys are, doing the best we can, responding to his grace in our lives. And so that, that's, uh, yeah, Bible scholar is an overstatement. Um, but I have been here a long time uh, in a group of men for about 13 years, been to, at this church for about 15, served just about everywhere. Um, I, have, uh, I have been on our board. I have served in the kids area, which, you know, someone of my patience probably shouldn't do, um, I've, I've been an usher. I've um, been a host. I'm currently serving on the parking lot team. And so I'm one of these, there you go. I'm one of these guys that forces you to go a direction. Maybe you don't want to go if you're in there and won't let you just take a sharp left and we do it for your own good. And it's all about efficiency and safety. Uh, And I'm serving on the platform this morning and I'm honored to do so. And I'll, I'll tell you, we're, we're jumping into a brand new series. And, and if you're here and I'm opening the series, it's only going to get better from here if you're a guest. So come back and, and stay engaged. Uh, we are entering into a new series. I thought I'd sort of lay out the landscape for you for the next six weeks because we're going to be in this series for the next four all the way through the month of March. And then we're going to jump into April where we've got a couple of really big dates. Uh, the first Sunday in April is, is Palm Sunday where we, we celebrate, uh, and a lot of you may know this, but, but Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem that last week where, where people are around him waving palms, basically declaring him king. So he rides into Jerusalem as king. A few days later dies a guiltless man like a criminal. And so we'll have Good Friday service here. But guess what? The grave couldn't hold him. Amen. So, so a couple days later, we're going to celebrate three services on Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday. And so it's, it's a big time. I, I like to think of it, and I'd encourage you to think of it as a season in our faith. Uh, we don't really think of it that way. Um, you know, typically we get to March for my wife and I, I always look forward to March because January and February in East Tennessee stink. I mean, they just, the weather is just not good. And so I'm tired of 35 and rainy. And so we get to March and oh my gosh, we made it. it it's more than that. I'd encourage you to think of it as, as more than that. <clears throat> we, we're in a season right now. We think of Christmas as a season. We, we, we do. I mean, usually I used to, to make our family wait until after Thanksgiving Thursday. And that's when Christmas began. And now we've completely abandoned Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving's now the first weekend of, of Christmas. And we jump into the season, right? The trees go up, the lights go up. Uh, We'll start wearing our Christmas socks and sweaters and ties. Uh, The music in our house changes and and, in our cars change. Our diet 
changes quite a bit during that season, uh, but we'd love to embrace the season of Christmas. I'd encourage you to think of this in the same way. It's historically, if you look at the history of the church, has been looked at as a season. It's been called Lent. How many of you guys have ever have been from a church where you celebrate Lent or Ash Wednesday? A few of us, okay? So I didn't come from that background. I really didn't. I wanted to show a picture here of, of Mark Wahlberg. My oldest daughter pointed this out to me. So here's Mark Wahlberg. It's on Ash Wednesday. And so you see that on his head and, and you see the, the caption below, Mark Wahlberg's 40-day challenge. As if it's some kind of fitness challenge or juice cleanse or some weird thing. Guess what? The world doesn't know. The world doesn't know, but it's okay for us to know. It's okay for, and I was ignorant for a long time. I came from, and I praise God for it, but it's small country church, backwoods country church. I'd never seen that before. And so I can remember I was 20 something the first time I saw someone come into my workplace on Ash Wednesday. I thought they had got a smudge on their head and didn't realize it. I mean, I'm literally following them around like you would with someone's got something in their teeth or on their, like, "Mm, you got something, sir. I'm an idiot, right? So I didn't know. I had no idea. Well, Ash Wednesday marks the very first day of Lent. It's a 40-day period leading up to Easter. And basically what they do, those ashes come from the palms that have been waved the prior year. So on Palm Sunday, many churches actually will take real palms and commemorate Palm Sunday and wave palms again. They burn those, that creates ash. And then Ash Wednesday the next year is is, uh, using those ashes. And it's basically... It's a picture of the gospel, if I could put it that way. I'm gonna give you three scriptures that I think are important. Write them down because we're not gonna go into them too much, but it's a picture of the gospel. It's, it's not just observed by Catholics. Uh, Lutherans and Anglicans and certain Methodists and Presbyterians still celebrate and mark Ash Wednesday and, and Lent in general. But write down these scriptures. Gen, uh, Genesis 3, 1 through 7, Matthew 4, 1 through 11, and Romans 5, 12 through 18. This period's a picture of the gospel. Genesis 3, it's famous, it's the fall. It's where Adam, given a choice, turns his back on God and decides to do things his way. Matthew 4, conversely, 1 through 11, Jesus is presented with the same choice. He's in the wilderness for 40 days. It's why we celebrate 40 days. And unlike Adam, when, when he's tempted or tested, doesn't turn his back on God, but turns toward God completely in submission and obedience. And that's the beginning of our redemption, which would take place fully at the cross. And finally, Romans 5, 12 through 18, Paul explains what happened, was happening in those two scriptures. Paul basically explains how one man, Adam, in turning his back on the world, brings sin into the world, and how the next man, Jesus, in turning toward the Father in obedience, begins to bring salvation into the world. And our eternity's changed forever, right? So, so I bring all that up. That's not a part of the sermon. That is completely free. I bring all that up to encourage you that Easter Sunday in this next four weeks or five weeks as get here, be engaged. And Easter Sunday is not just a day where you get to put on a pink tie and put a little pink handkerchief in your coat. It's, it's, it's more than just wearing a new dress. Can we treat it like more than just that? Look, hide the eggs, find the eggs, take a picture with the bunny. I'm all good with all of that, right? But let's, let's remember what it actually is we're commemorating and celebrating here. It's our life, it's our eternity. So let's jump into this sermon. Let's jump into this series. We're going to be reading from primarily Matthew 26, 6 through 50. 
If that sounds like a lot of scripture, it is. So I'm going to paraphrase quite a bit of that. Matthew 26, 6. Before we do that, though, I'd like to show you a timeline of where we are. Sometimes we start, we just jump into scripture and have no context of where we are in the life of Christ on earth. And so I thought I would show you this timeline. It's a little busy. I don't want you to focus too much on all of it. The blue line in the middle, though, as you kind of go from nativity to the far left, there's this whole early period of life where we know he escaped to Egypt. Uh, because Herod's trying to kill him. We know he comes back eventually. But then you see his, his ministry right there in the middle, which lasts from anywhere between two and a half to three and a half years. Where we're gonna focus is right before the first blue vertical line heading up, uh, right before his death and resurrection, what we would call the Passion Week, where he is now at the end. We're gonna pick up and explore about 24 to 48 hours of time during that period. So I'm going to read. Stay with me. I'll paraphrase some. I'll call out where we're, where we're at. Matthew 26, 6. Now, when Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, I, I think it's worth a break just to say how much I love this. There, there's a whole sermon in that one sentence right there. Simon the leper. Mark, Mark his gospel says this guy was known as Simon the leper. That means that's his whole identity to the community as Simon the outcast, Simon the worthless, Simon the unclean. Aren't you glad that Jesus looks at people differently than we look at people? I'm gonna paraphrase to get us up to verse 14. They're basically at this house. This woman comes up, she's got this alabaster container, alabaster vial, and, and it's filled with perfume. She breaks it and begins to pour that on Jesus whether it's his head or his feet, we've got different accounts, but basically she begins to anoint Jesus with this really expensive perfume. And Matthew tells us some disciples get upset and say, my gosh, we could have sold that. We could have helped the poor. And Jesus said, you're, you're thinking wrong. She's doing the right thing. And he rebukes them. I think it's interesting if you look at this gospel or this account in Matthew's gospel, and then you begin to look at other gospels and kind of harmonize those things together. John, unlike Matthew and Mark, names names, right? So John tells us a few more details at this place. He tells us it's a dinner given in Jesus's honor. He tells us there's some famous people there like Lazarus, who Jesus had raised from the dead. He tells us that Martha is there and that she's serving as Martha tends to do. He tells us that it's Mary who is actually the one who breaks the vial and is anointing Jesus, that it's, it's Mary doing that. And he also tells us it's not all the disciples who are upset about this waste. It's this one dude named Judas Iscariot. It's Judas who's upset, who says, well, wait, we could, have, we could have used this resource for a lot of other better things than on you, Jesus. We could have done something better. It's, it's Judas. So that's the setting where we pick up verse 14. Then one of the 12 named Judas Iscariot, who remember is really angry now, went to the chief priest and said, what are you willing to give me to betray him to you? And they weighed out 30 pieces of silver to him. From then on, he began looking for a good opportunity to betray Jesus. Verse 17 through 19, Jesus gives some instructions on how they're gonna do Passover meal. And then we skip up to verse 20. And here we are at what's become known as the Last Supper. <clears throat> now, when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the 12 disciples as they were eating, he said, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. 
being deeply grieved, they each one began to say to him, surely not I, Lord. And he answered, he who dipped his hand with me in the bowl is the one who will betray me. The son of man is to go just as written of him, but woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. And Judas, who was betraying him, said, surely it's not I, Rabbi. And Jesus said to him, you said it yourself. And then we have this whole section of scripture after Jesus says, you're gonna betray me, where they basically, they, they do communion together. You know, Jesus said, this is my body, this is my blood. They, they sing a hymn together. A little bit of worship takes place. And then they, they leave there and they go to the Mount of Olives in this little section of that area called Gethsemane, where Jesus, he's in anguish at this point. Jesus, he is in anguish, he's in turmoil. He asked the guys, would you mind staying up and, and praying with me? I'm gonna go pray, would you stay up? And of course they don't. They keep falling asleep over and over again and we see this picture of weakness contrasted with his strength. But finally, he goes to them the third time and they're all sleeping, except they're not all sleeping. There's one guy missing from their group. Verse 47, are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand and the son of man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. While he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the 12, came up accompanied by a large crowd with swords and clubs who came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now, he who was betraying him gave them a sign saying, whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize him. Immediately, Judas went to Jesus and said, hail rabbi, and he kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you've come for. Then they laid hands on Jesus and seized him. This series we're gonna be in for the next <clears throat> month is called My Good Friend Judas. What an odd statement that is that he would call him friend. As we look at today's sermon, as we look at the next month, Pastor Jamie's gonna really unpack a lot of that as we go through hurts and pains, betrayals in our life, that we can see those things as God using those things. And, and how do we deal with tough situations and, and, and circumstances and, and, and doctor's diagnosis and all the things that, that bring hardship to life? How do we deal with those in a way God would have us deal with them? What are practical ways? And Pastor Jamie's gonna talk about living on the other side or in the midst of some of that pain. Today, I wanna focus on the one most difficult thing in our life, our number one obstacle, in my opinion, and that is the people around you. Not literally today, but people in your life. If you like uh, sermon titles, this one today is called Who Needs Enemies? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much um, that you are not a far off God, that we don't have to convince you to come into our midst, that, that you have, your goodness has been chasing us our entire lives, God. And so we just, for, for our eternity, God. And so we just thank you for that. We thank you for how much you love us. We thank you for your word, that you would use your word to reveal yourself to us. And it never changes, but always changes us, God. So transform us today as we dig into you and dig into your word. Amen. So the people around us, they hurt us the most. Show of hands, who here, just in the last month or two, is thinking of someone right now who's just a challenge, a problem. I wouldn't know if I'd call them a betrayer, but they're just a challenge. So a lot, some hands there, some hands there. So if you, if you didn't raise your hands, you are Judas. You're the one. <laughs> they're thinking of you. I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. 
Of course, we're going to focus plenty on Judas today, and we're going to use him as an analogy for those difficult people. But it wasn't just Judas that gave Jesus a hard time. And as you're engaged in this series, there's a couple things I'd, I'd want you to remember. If you could show that timeline one more time. So before the Passion Week, we have somewhere around 33 years of Jesus's life recorded before that week where he's handed over to, to these officials and abused and crucified. But even before then, there's a study that's shown there's only about 52 days that we have of Jesus's life. So if you took a look at all the gospels together, only recordings of about 52 days and all that time period. In those 52 days, there are 50 separate distinct accounts where he is being called names, being opposed. He is trying, you know, they're trying, plotting to kill him. Uh, where he is being questioned. At one point, they're calling him a devil worshiper. Can you imagine calling God? 50 times in 52 days, so it doesn't take a lot of math to know that almost on a daily occurrence, a normal, everyday part of Jesus's life is to be deceived and disappointed and hurt and slandered. That's just everyday life for Jesus. So should it surprise us if that's everyday life for us to some degree? And, and is there a better way to handle it? Is, is God giving us an example where we can handle it better than the world does? I, I think the answer is yes. So there's three main points I want to take with you. I want you to take with you as we look at the life of Judas <clears throat> and we look at the accounts of Judas. Uh, number one, Judas isn't a surprise or an accident. Number two, Judas isn't changing or leaving. And number three, Judas isn't always an enemy. Now, let me unpack those things one by one. Number one, Judas isn't a surprise or an accident. Basically, people are going to hurt us. People are going to betray us. Uh, people are going to disappoint us and frustrate us. It's, it's always been that way. It always will be that way. But I'm going to submit to you today that, that many of those, those people are supposed to be in your life. They're there for a reason. Now, it's really important. Hear me now. Let me make this caveat. I'm not talking about toxic people in your life. I'm not talking. If there's a situation where there's abuse going on, that's not what I'm talking about. If there's a potential for danger in your life, that's not what I'm talking about. If it's an individual who influences you in a way and you are not the best version of yourself and there needs to be a separation there, that's not who I'm talking about. We call that the gift of goodbye, right? It's the gift from both parties. Goodbye, see you later. The Bible's real clear. Bad company corrupts good character, right? So there are situations at times when people need to be out of our lives. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the individuals who are just going to be in your lives. Maybe because, maybe because they, they work with you. Maybe they're on your team. They're a teacher, a coach, family members, their in-laws. I'm talking about people who are in your lives. They're just buttheads. And that's, I said to first, I can say it. I'm not on staff, so I can say stuff like that to, to a degree. But we're going to use Judas as an analogy for those individuals. And they're not going anywhere. They're going to be in our lives. Judas did not slip in by accident. He did not lie on his resume. He did not trick HR to get the job. If you read the gospels, you see when Jesus appoints the 12, he calls them all apostles. 
apostle. Now, I have no problem saying the apostle Paul, the apostle Peter, the apostle Judas. That sounds weird even as I say it on this side of history, but Jesus called them all apostles. We see this account in Mark 3, verse 19, that Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him, Mark's gospel has 16 chapters in it. And if we find out the bad guy in verse three, or excuse me, in chapter three, a quarter into the book, Luke's the same way. We find out uh, in, in Luke 6, 16, he says, in Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Luke's gospel has 24 chapters. So we find out in the first quarter of the book who the bad guy is. And so part of, if you're reading this almost like a, a historical narrative, part of you wants to say, Jesus, watch out. He's the bad guy. He's not who you think he is. Jesus did not get tricked. Jesus knew the whole time. We know from the gospels that, that Jesus knows the future, that Jesus knows the heart of Jesus knows what they're thinking in their mind before they even say it. We know from the gospels, Jesus is omniscient. Judas isn't there as an accident and he's not a surprise to Jesus. Judas is there for a purpose. Number two, Judas isn't changing or leaving. One of the 12 is a phrase we see all the time. One of the 12, one of the 12, one of the 12. Even at the moment that Judas betrays them in uh, Matthew 26, 47, he's referred to as one of the 12. It's this inclusive language that strikes me. I don't think I would phrase it that way. I would say formerly one of the 12, or he used to be our friend, but he's not anymore. Or, you know, Judas, you know, one of the one who's a big jerk face betrayer, you know, that's Judas. I would not keep him inclusive in my language, but Matthew does. One of the 12 also reminds me that Judas has been there the whole time with these guys. I wrote a few things down. He's been there, there the whole time. He's been with Jesus and he was one of the 12 when Jesus healed the sick. He was one of the 12 when Jesus made blind men see and the deaf hear. He was one of the 12 when Jesus drove out demons. One of the 12 when Jesus fed 5,000 men and their families and then a short time later fed 4,000 more men and their families. He was one of the 12. Get this, you know at the end of those miracles where they grab the baskets and they pick up 12 basketfuls of leftovers of fish and bread and then they pick up seven basketfuls the second time. Judas was one of the ones picking up basketfuls. Jesus was literally, excuse me, Judas was literally carrying around Jesus's miracles. He experienced that. He was in the boat when, when Jesus calmed the waves. He was in the boat when Jesus walked on water. Uh, he was one of the 12. This one threw me a little bit. Remember when Jesus sends the 12 out and has them come back and said, you know, don't take a staff. If they, if they don't accept you, do this. If they do accept you, do this. These guys go out and they're casting out some demons and doing some miracles. Judas was one of them. He was there when Jesus took them aside and began to explain what he meant by his parables. He was in the inner circle. And after all that, he didn't change and he didn't leave. Let me put a scary thought in your head. The people you're thinking about right now, the difficult people in your life, they may never, ever change. Now we can pray for that. We can, especially if they're not a follower of Jesus, we can believe for that and we should. <clears throat> but if they're just annoying, tough to deal with people, they may always be annoying and tough to deal with. They may never change. Here's an even scarier thought. They may be there to change you. Yeah. 
that may be why they're there. We're so often praying for God, please get this person out of my life or please change them. And if they can't change them, I'm putting a shot clock on them 24 seconds. I need them gone. I want them gone out of my life. It reminds me of Paul in second Corinthians. He begins to describe this thing he wants out of his life. He uses terminology like thorn in his flesh, this thing that's painful. He can't get removed. And we don't know exactly what that was. Paul never tells us. It could have been a, a physical ailment. It could have been a relationship. We, we don't know exactly. A lot, of, a lot of theories out there. But what we do know is this. Paul begged God, get this thing out of my life, remove it. And God said no over and over and over. And on the third time, uh, when he says, please remove this thorn, God says no and begins to tell Paul that his grace is all he needs. And that his power is big enough to overcome our weaknesses. And there's this huge transformation in about two verses where Paul goes from complaining about the thorn in his flesh to bragging about how big God is and how good God is and how he could change him. And so what does grace look like in these really, really tough relationships? Well, Jesus showed us. That's the good news. Jesus was, was, was our example here. How did Jesus treat his betrayer? Number one, he called him his friend. I, I don't take Jesus as being sarcastic right there. And I know he wasn't a liar. He called him his friend. He allows him to be in charge of the money. We know from John's gospel. He trusts Judas knowing, knowing that the trust will be broken. Here's, a, here's one. He washes his feet. He washes Judas's feet at the end there. He had already said, I know one of you is going to betray me. He's already said who it is. And he still takes the step to actually serve him and wash his feet. He serves him. He serves him the same way he does it indiscriminately. He serves him the same way he does the other 11 who eventually would come back and, and serve Jesus with their lives. He serves Judas the exact same way. He serves him. How do we treat people who disappoint us? I don't know how you do it, but, but, but I want them exposed. I mean, I, true, I want them to pay. Vengeance is mine, says me. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't want them to be in my circle anymore. I don't want them to be in anybody's circle anymore, right? I, I, want, I want them to pay and I want to call them out for everyone to see. Um, I've, got, I've got this interesting thing I do, um, that's a nice way to say it. When I drive, um, I, d I don't have road rage. I don't. In fact, I'm rarely angry. Uh, but what I do is I have a, a, a honking disorder. Um, I absolutely love to honk that horn. Um, and, and, and it's for their good. Um, <laughs> and my wife and family hate it. Oh, they hate it, but I love it so much. And, and, and the reason is, is whether I'm cut off or someone's looking at their phone or a red light or, or I just need to teach them something. Um, I, I will lean on that horn. And, and this is no lie. If, if you drive an average of three or four times a day to work, to wherever you're going, I bet I honk one or two times every time I'm in the car. Every time. And, and, I, I, and I say it's for their own good. I need to teach them. I'm the strong arm of the law with my little horn. Right? The heart of, the heart of man and, and what we do when people bother us. 
I, I told this story first service, but the, the years ago we moved into our house over a decade ago, and for whatever reason, under our deck there was these there were these red wasps that would build these nests, and every year we got rid of them. Every every year they came back, and so it's settled now. But I can remember a few years in a row we'd walk out on our deck and these red wasps would, would come up. And I just, I'm allergic to them. And even if I wasn't, it hurts when they sting you. And so it just drove me crazy. And I can remember one weekend day, I'd killed one and then I killed another. And I think I killed a third one. I was so angry at these red wasps coming against me and my house. And so I took their, their little wasp corpse and I, and I began placing these little wasps at strategic places around the deck. And I said, all right, red wasp, here's what happens when you come to my house. It's this medieval head on a pike type mentality where I'm, I'm doing it for the world to, to see. The way we respond to people is not the way Jesus responds to people. We want them to pay. We want to expose them. Jesus doesn't do that. And I think the way we respond to people should look different than the world. It really should. I, I think Jesus probably meant what he said when he said, love your enemies. I think it's really easy to love your friends. Uh, they, 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 for the most part, don't cause you problems. For the most part, they're really patient with you. But to, to love the people who bring obstacles in your life, who bring pain in your life, to, to care for them, to, to pray for them, to, to even be thankful for them. God, I'm thankful that so-and-so is in my life. That's hard to do, but, but why are we thankful? Here's why I wrote this down, because Judas will develop you in ways your friends won't. Friends, because they're friends, will tend to accommodate you, will tend to be sweet to you, will tend to be patient with you. They don't want to rock the boat too much. Judas doesn't care about any of that. Judas will expose you, but Judas will also expose your heart. And here's the good part. Judas will expose the areas God really wants to get to in ways your friends never can. We're thankful for Judas. This is so true in my life. I've realized, I, I, I said this to my wife the other day. If, if I've never realized how holy I'm not until I begin trying to raise teenage daughters <laughs> and also have the fruit of the spirit evident in my life. Which brings me to the third point. Judas isn't always your enemy. Judas can be anyone, any, any situation that's difficult, any relationship that tends to rub each other the wrong way. I can be Judas in my family's life at times. Spouses can hurt each other. Kids can hurt you. Parents can hurt you. You have coaches that are, are good for you and help you, but they can hurt you sometimes. Same with good teachers. All these people that are in our lives, even if they're not bad people with bad intentions, can still be very hurtful at times. So what do we do with that? What do we do with that truth? And how do we respond in a way that God would, would want us to? These are not our enemies. These are not bad people. But how do we deal with it? There's a picture I, I brought with me to, I don't know if it embarrasses my girls or not, but these are my girls um, a while ago, over a decade ago. Um, <clears throat> and one's probably, I don't know, one or two and one's five, something like that. Uh, those are my, listen, my girls, when they were growing up were, were the 
quintessential daddy's girls, had a great relationship with me and I had a great relationship with them. And, and they were, you know, they were spirited, always have been, but they were, were so sweet. And then something happened. Uh, I don't know. Teenage years came around. And, and, and now um, I'm raising uh, two girls who are, they're redheaded, that same spirit, um, but they're adolescent females and, and they're in their teen years and all that comes with that. And, and I, I call that the, you know, the perfect storm. Um, psychologists actually have a, a very technical term for it that they use and, and they call it hell on earth. Um, <laughs> I'm joking halfway. Uh, <laughs> the truth is they're healthy. They've got a bright future and they're smart. Um, and, and for that, I'm very thankful. Um, but they are teens and all that comes with that. I was having this conversation with my mom not long, well, a while ago. And, and she says, you know, you were a problem as a teen as well. You know, raising you as a teen was, was pretty difficult. And I said, yeah, but, but my girls have better parents. Um, <laughs> um, And I'm completely joking, but what I meant <laughs> was that we have so, my generation of parent, you know, has all, all these things I'll never do uh, that they messed up on, but we also have so many resources at our disposal. All the books I've read, the articles I read, the, the stinking podcasts I listen to, all the things that you, you can do to be prepared for this and I'm still left floundering half the time or more. And the truth of the matter is, and, and the, the challenge is really this, uh, experience is the best teacher. Hate that quote, but it's so true. A, a, a child, a teenager needs to experience in themselves. Experience may be the best teacher, but it's also the most painful one. And I want, I want, I want, to, I want them to avoid that pain and that hurt uh, just two days ago, three days ago, my youngest, uh, actually was putting cranberry juice back in the fridge. All right. And so you didn't get the top screwed on, right? It was, you know, cattywampus. And so obviously not, not a good seal. I said, Hey, fix that top. If it turns over, it's going to spill all in the fridge. So she walks up to it, takes the bottle and turns it over and it spills in the fridge. And I'm, I'm like, what, what are you doing? And, and so then she has to, because she made the mess, she has to, to deal with the consequence. She gets the paper towel and begins cleaning it up and then fixes it. And, and I'm thinking, why don't you just listen to the father <laughs> and avoid all these messes and all these consequences? And that is the smallest microcosm, but a perfect picture of what raising a teen is really like. And, the, and the, here's, the, here's the challenge, really, when it comes down to it. You can have all the resources, and I, I've read them, a ton of them. You can do all the things, right? So you can, you can say no TVs in the house, or you can have parental passcodes on everything. You can say no phones, nobody gets a device in here, or you can have you know, all, the, all the apps and the 360s and the barks and everything else. You can, you, can, you can go to public school, private school, Christian school, homeschool, Amish school. I don't, I don't care. And they still find a way to get out there and make mistakes. 
Why? Because Adam turned his back on God and introduced this sin into our lives. And we're desperately in need of a savior. All of us. And, and, and the, the challenge that I have is what do I do with this? What do I do in a situation where I'm trying to control this and prevent water from coming over the edge to only realize I'm not in control? I go to the one who is. What do I do with the difficult relationships? What do I do with the challenge? I run to the father. I get to the cross and I, I do the thing I should have done the whole time. That's the answer. When we deal with difficult relationships from the people closest to us, the difficult relationships at work, the, the, the blended families, the friends, whatever, that's what we do. We go to the father, not when we can't realize we can't do it anymore. We go to the father at the beginning to begin with. That's what you do. That's why they're there to get you to him. Judas got Jesus to the cross. The difficult people in your life are there to get you to the cross, to get you to the foot of Jesus. So what do we do? In the last couple minutes, let me give you three practical applications. Number one, pursue people. It's exactly what you don't want to do when someone hurts you, right? You want to isolate, withdraw, get away, keep people at an arm's distance because don't people always hurt me? No, pursue people. That same phrase I gave you a second ago, one of the 12, I used it for a different purpose then, but one of the 12 also means it's a very small number. 11 of the 12 always came back around. Most of the people, especially if you get the right kind of people around you, they'll hurt you from time to time, but they're the right kind of people to be around you. He was only one of the 12. Get in a connect group. Real practical. If you haven't signed up for a connect group here, do it today. If you haven't come in a while, show up this week. I lead a connect group with a guy named Guido. Men in our group are fantastic. It's real. It's, it's life. It's encouragement. Reggie, there's a cuss word every now and then that you will hear. Not from him. No, not from him. Just, 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 to, just, just so he can confirm it's, it's true. It's, but it's, it's a real group of guys, 10 or 12 or 13 of us getting in each other's lives and praying for each other and digging into the word. And there's connect groups like that all over this church. Find one that fits you. Get in a connect group. Number two, pursue serving. Jesus served him. He washed his feet. He did not discriminate and serve one guy less than the others because he, he would betray him. Serve, serve. Matthew 20, 28, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Matthew 23, the greatest among you will be your servant. Peter, first Peter four, each of you should use whatever gift you've have uh, received to serve others. I've got seven or eight more written here and we just don't have time. The Bible's full of them. Serve others, not because they're good people, because you're called to serve. Let me give you three truths. Number one, you have gifts. Number two, the church body is in need of your gifts. And number three, the scripture is really clear about you needing to use your gifts inside the church body. So get on a serve team. Why are you now? Now, maybe you say I'm not because I was hurt and I'm here healing and that's fine. Or maybe this is not your church yet. That's fine. But if you've been here for a long time and you're still on the bench, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just say, get your butt up off the bench. Let's time to serve. Serve others. And guess what? You're going to serve with people you don't get along with all the time. And that's good because they're there to move you closer to Jesus. And number, number three, pursue the potter. 
pursue the potter. I love the language uh, in Isaiah uh, and elsewhere about God being the potter and us being the clay. I love the idea of, of him shaping us. However, I don't always like it when I'm getting shaped. You have to pursue him as potter. You have to pursue him knowing he is creator and I am creation and he is making me in his image daily over and over and over and making me like him. It's uncomfortable, but it's good. A couple years, well, several years ago, I was in Gatlinburg, Dollywood, actually. If you've been there, you'll, you'll see the scene. Uh, there's this guy who carves these statues, huge statues out of wood. And he basically only has two tools. Uh, one is a hammer and one is this chisel. Um, He's taking a hammer and a chisel and he's taking this, basically an entire tree. And he's chiseling away little at a time and, his, and he makes all kinds of things. These huge six, seven foot statues of a, of a black bear or of a, of a mountain trout. But his specialty are statues of Jesus. And you can kind of see as he's working on this, this, this huge trunk of a tree and he's just, just little at a time, little at a time taking these little bitty shavings off. You can see his finished work in kind of a circle around him. And you've got Jesus over here, uh, you know, one, one he's in the garden of Gethsemane and over here he's actually on the cross. And then there's a picture of Jesus holding a little child. And so all these different scenes from the Bible. And he's sitting there carving one that's gonna be another statue of Jesus. And so someone asked him as he's, as he's sitting there just a little at a time, chipping away a little at a time, how do you do that? Like, how do you take this shapeless, formless thing and make Jesus out of it? And he said, oh, it, it takes a long time. It takes a long time. You really can't even see the progress each day that you look at it. He said, but here's how I do it. I know what Jesus looks like. I know what Jesus looks like. So all I do is I chip away at the things that don't look like Jesus. The developing he wants to do in your life, the, the things he wants to chip away, one of the number one tools that God will use are the people in your life, the difficult people in your life. They make us look more like Jesus. And so we just have to ask ourselves as we close here, do we really wanna look like Jesus? Um, are we willing to let him chip away the, the parts of us that don't belong? Because that chipping process, that shaping process can sometimes be so painful. But there's a purpose in it. And you may say, look, you, you don't know the person I'm thinking about. You, you don't know my boss, my coach, my teacher. You don't, you don't know my stepdaughter, my ex-husband, my ex-wife. You're right. I don't. I don't know that person. But I do know a couple things. I know, number one, those people in your life they're not a barrier. Only the way you react to them can be the barrier. Those people in your life are there to get you closer to the cross, closer to the Father, and closer to your destiny. Let's pray. So several of you raised your hands in here when I, when I mentioned dealing with difficult people. So I'm just gonna ask you to respond away in just, just a really simple way. And it's just a decision of, of doing it my way or doing it his way. It's, it's really all about submission and realizing he's the potter and, and we're the clay and he's trying to form us into something. 
So as you think right now about the people in your life um, who give you the hardest time and the biggest problem and are just the biggest obstacles right now, I would just ask you this. How are you gonna handle it? Whose way are you gonna follow? Which path are you gonna follow? If you would say right now on this Sunday, you know what? I'm gonna handle it God's way. And if he's using these people to develop me or shape me, great. But I raise your hand right now if you say, I'm handling difficult people God's way. I'm just gonna do it God's way. Awesome. Fantastic. So listen, here's the thing. This is a moment between you and God right now. I'm not gonna follow you tomorrow morning to see if you actually follow this thing through. That's when you walk it out. But, this, but, but even though it's just a moment between you and God, it is a moment between you and God. So if you raised your hand right there, take it seriously. Submit to God. Okay, just like I do with my kids, sometimes I throw up my hands and I say, God, please help me. Please help them. Have your hand on this situation because I'm out of control. I don't have it anymore. I'm desperate for you. That's what you're submitting to right there is just going to the Father. Finally, I'm not gonna leave today without, without at least giving, giving you the chance. If you're an individual who's never done anything God's way, or at least you haven't done anything God's way in a long time, I'd like everyone close your eyes, everyone bow your heads. No one's gonna look around the next couple of minutes. If you've never done anything God's way, you've ran your life your way and your life looks like you've been running it. It's a bit of a mess and there's been some pain and some, some hurt around you as a result of you running it your way. The Bible says we can have a fresh start anytime we turn to God, anytime. When, when, when Peter first encountered Jesus, Peter said, what do you want me to do? And Jesus simply said, follow me. This invitation, just come with me. If you're in, in this room and you've never done that or it's been a long time and you say, you know what? I don't want to do my life my way anymore. I'm going to follow you, Jesus. Just raise your hand. I'm going to give you just a second. If there's anyone in here, just, I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Praise God, man. We're over time by about six minutes, but I don't care because uh, angels are celebrating right now. So let's pray. Listen, I'm gonna pray and close this out. And this is a prayer of faith. So this is gonna be, look, it's not about the words. It's about your heart. If you raise your hand or even if you didn't, but you wanna pray and give your life to God, this, this is about a moment between you and God and a heart decision. So God, we thank you so much for this day and what you've done in this room, what you're doing around the world today, that you are moving in our lives today, God. And we just say right off the bat that we absolutely make a mess of our lives. We admit that we can't do anything without you, that we try and, and we mess it up over and over. We are broken people in need of a savior, but we thank you that you are that savior that Jesus, you are the Christ, that you came and invaded our world and that you died for us and that you rose again for us so that our lives can be risen again, God. So we just thank you for that. We commit now to following you forever. We submit everything in our lives to you. We will follow you. In the name of Jesus, amen, amen. Give it up for God today. Thank you for listening to another Transformation Church sermon podcast. If you would like someone to pray with you, or if you would like some ministry materials, please email us at hello at transformationchurch.us.